Welcome to Delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. So for the news recap that we're trying out this week, we're getting our information from the boardroom.io newsletter. Every week they're posting out some of the top information on the latest governance proposals. So make sure you're signed up and tuning in. And a side note that we are proudly sponsored by Boardroom. Yep. And you could find Boardroom's newsletter linked in the show notes and everything that we will be talking about today. Let's dive in. What's on your radar for this week? Looking at everything that happened two weeks ago, uh, just action-packed, but especially around the front of Uniswap, Optimism, and Maker. I'm going to jump into some of the stuff that we've seen over there in these communities. First and foremost, Uniswap has been posting a lot of information on their forum, specifically around the fee switch and alternative use cases for the fee switch. Just as some background, the fee switch is actually a built-in ability for Uniswap to collect some amount of fees based off trading. Right now, this is turned off, and this is seen as a competitive move. However, the community can turn that on through its on-chain governance process. And so the Uniswap Foundation was conducting research around the fee switch and how they can actually implement it while minimizing legal risk and compliance risk, which is all centered around taxes. Where they've landed is... They want to try to distribute the funds in a way where ecosystem actors are rewarded. And so with that being said, they also asked for the community to provide feedback around alternative use cases for the fee switch. And we've seen a ton of really great discussions. Block Science entered the ring offering up their help. We saw multiple different community members providing suggestions. Super excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I think like... 100%. Like, I think the fee switch is a really cool concept. It really disadvantages, it doesn't really disadvantage, but the main disadvantage goes to the LPs, right? Because they're the ones that are going to suffer the fee coming out of their potential profit share. I read online the other day, and I'm actually not sure about the up-to-date numbers, but most LPs on Uniswap are currently down. And so now's actually probably a pretty good time to enable the fee switch because those LPs are kind of just going to have to suck it up until until it's already implemented and then they've already got the fees coming in because otherwise they're just going to suffer a load of loss if they're uh, if they're withdrawing because of the fee switch. So I'm not thinking that it's going to be a big exodus of LPs if uh, the fee switch goes through. I may be wrong, but I think now's a good time for it. I've actually spoken with some of the largest LP providers on the platform who did raise some concerns. However, Regarding that actual fee switch, we're going to let it be decided on chain eventually. You know, when that will come, I think we're still unclear on. But all of this work being done in the background regarding legal research, compliance research, the actual use of the funds and what, you know, and what does that constitute as very, very beneficial for the protocol. I'm excited. This one's been going on a while, so let's hope that it gets on chain soon. On another Uniswap front, the on-chain proposal to deploy Uniswap v3 on Avalanche passed with 48 million votes for and 2.5 million votes against. This particular deployment does leverage Layer 0 as the bridge provider with overall positive sentiment. There were some comments expressed in the forum around the use of bridge providers involving governance deployments. However, 
through discussion in the forum that it is up to the proposer. And once the Uniswap Bridge Diligence Committee finishes up their work, all deployments will be reassessed based on the findings. Furthermore, with the BSL expiring on Uniswap, a new process was just proposed by the Uniswap Foundation yesterday. This new process outlines what will occur and what will come from official deployments from Uniswap governance involving Uniswap v3. One of the ones I wanted to talk about today was SushiSwap, SushiDAO, and the interesting antics that are going on at the moment over at Sushi. The fact that the head chef, i.e. the CEO, Jared Gray has recently been hit with a Sapona by the SEC. We don't know why yet. It's not been released, but it's still interesting for a range of reasons. But firstly, Gray has gone to put together a legal defense fund. Well, it's 3 million USDT, and that's to pay for the legal fees, which he's going to incur off the back of being served, although it's put underneath the umbrella of a legal defense fund for con- core contributors and multi-sig participants who've been active since Sushi 2.0. So where's the money coming from? I guess is the first question. 50% of that is going to come from the Kampai fees, which is a is fees that are taken effectively for bear market protection was the initial use case. Not sure. I guess this kind of falls into bear market protection if the legal cases are part of the reason causing the bear market, but I'm not sure how how heavy a link there is there. 35% come from the grants business development revenue, and the remaining 15% will come from market selling sushi using time-weighted average prices. And if those funds get depleted, the DAO will make another million USDT available, support any other legal proceedings until they conclude. That million dollars is actually in perpetuity for right now. Now, discussion's still ongoing. I know you'd mentioned the multi-sig. Nick actually commented on the forum. He will be a multi-sig signer and initiated the discussion around including multi-sig signers. And so a lot of really cool discussions around the Legal Defense Fund. Also, the Legal Defense Fund modeled after MakerDAO's own. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So do you know much about MakerDAO's Legal Defense Fund? Or The simple explanation is that the whole goal here is to pull together funds. In MakerDAO's example, this would be used for a host of different reasons, core contributors and delegates. But from Sushi's point of view, they're limiting the scope of the actual fund. Now, it's important to note that the Maker Fund, although it passed a vote, was never actually implemented. And so it's either still on hold or uh, you know unclear as to whether that will actually go through to the on-chain uh, execution in the executive vote. Do you know how much was put, put towards that legal defense fund for MakerDAO? The Maker Fund was actually for $5 million. And then progressively, right, instead of agreeing for a million in perpetuity, right, they would have to come back to the actual DAO to re-up that defense fund. Yeah, Maker's are a fair bit larger than Sushi. From my understanding, and we haven't checked the actual TVL. Uh, interesting, awesome. So yeah, I, I mean, as I said, we don't know what the actual reason is for the for being served. One can speculate. I wonder if it's anything to do with the tokenomic rework and potential issues there. But I mean, that's not gone through, and that's still in the proposal stage. So I think that's highly unlikely. I don't think maybe it's to do with the the old model for Sushi's tokenomic model. I'm not too sure. Give us a little overview of uh, of of that proposal. Uh, for those unaware, really interesting proposal on the tokenomic front for 
Sushi Swap as well. Jared Gray would love to have you on for a discussion on it if you're free at some point. But in, in short, effectively, the the tokenomic rework for Sushi is a fee switch similar to Uniswap. So what you were saying earlier there, Cam, it's applying a similar model within Sushi Swap for their token, as well as adding a VE token model. So VE token models effectively just where you lock tokens for a percentage reward for locking those tokens, and you get an increased percentage reward based on the time that you lock your tokens for. And if you unlock those tokens before they've reached maturity, then you lose all of those rewards. And I think more research needs to be done on the effectiveness of these VE token models because they're used quite frequently, but I'm not 100% sold. I can see the benefits, but yeah, it's not 100% clear to me if they're actually beneficial. Voter escrow. Lots going on over at Sushi. Same thing over in the world of optimism. So we're sitting here in uh, in another voting cycle talking about the only vote of this cycle and possibly one of the most important votes for optimism, period. This is all about the bedrock upgrade. The bedrock upgrade changes the entire stack of optimism. There's some key benefits to this, highlighting it quickly. First, it introduces modularity. So Bedrock offers a new level of modularity to the optimism architecture, separating components into three parts, consensus, execution, and settlement. There's significant performance improvements from a sequencer level, from a transactions cost, throughput, and syncing speeds. And the last one, possibly the most interesting, is it introduces Ethereum equivalence. Ethereum equivalence is different than EVM equivalence. Ethereum equivalence is actually bringing the actual stack and the execution closer to the Geth client used within the Ethereum layer one. Pulling up boardroom, the vote is open for optimism. It has been live for about seven days and we have seven more days remaining. We have 17.3 million OP for and just 33k OP against. Super excited to see where this one goes. You can follow that vote live linked in the show notes awesome exciting stuff next on my radar is DeFi llama and they briefly forked amid token concerns recently i don't know if anyone listening was following the drama but it was all a little bit crazy so the the short and sweet summary of it is that there were some tweets coming out from the CEO over at DeFi Llama, effectively saying that there'd been a hostile takeover of their website and that they've created a new domain and for users to use that new domain. So why did this happen? Well, it was claimed that one of the old, the old domain or the original domain was owned by one of the team members who, along with some others, wanted to do a hostile takeover because they wanted to launch a token, whereas other team members didn't agree with this approach. They didn't want to release a token, didn't think DeFi Lama needed one. And so they refused to do so. And when they thought they had lost control of the original website, they went and created this new one. Fast forward a few days after this forking of DeFi Lama, it was apparently all a miscommunication. The teams have resolved the differences <laughs> and the new domain now redirects to the old one. So all a bit strange. Sounds like it must have been a huge miscommunication between the teams there for that to happen. And yeah, I, I, I just think it could have been avoided and it must have been a pretty huge miscommunication for that to happen. DeFi Llama is a cornerstone product around data infrastructure in DeFi. And so this begs the question around whether or not data 
should be free, if it should be monetizable, tokenized, or how you should go about this. And also, who bears that cost? Is it the individuals, the investors, the team? Uh, but saw some really interesting talks around some of these issues after the DeFi llama drama. Yeah, I'm, in my view on that one is on-chain data is free, uh, but it requires expertise to manipulate it or to use it in a way that is that you're able to draw insights from. And I don't think it should be free in, in all cases. It depends on what's being done with it. If it's just being given you raw, then probably not. But otherwise... I can see the value proposition there for sure. On a brighter note as well, I don't know if you've had a, a go on it yet, Cam, but I've been trying out DeFi Llama's extension for Chrome, which is pretty cool. It's basically just a little Chrome Llama extension, and you see it in your extension toolbar, I think it's called. And effectively, it flashes green when you're on a website that it tr- that is, is trusted. So if you go on Uniswap or whatever, and you're the big DeFi protocols, it'll come up as green. But if you go on a phishing website, then it will, phishing with a PH, it will come up as red, letting you know that you are about to get fished. So mm-hmm. I, I found it pretty good. I'm not sure how comprehensive it is. Maybe I need to be going a bit more degen to really test it out. So maybe that's something for the weekend. From the MakerDAO front, and we've covered MakerDAO quite a bit over the past two weeks, so we'll keep this one pretty high level. But the Constitution MIP set that we've had our previous two episodes on passed with 136 thousand MKR voting for, 43,000 MKR voting against. This has some pretty dramatic impacts to the actual governance process, which MakerDAO core contributors and delegates will now be working to change over the next few months. So these things start immediately. There's been some pretty heated conversations within the Discord and on the forum around some of these topics. So sunsetting that prior process, introducing some of these new concepts and new processes. Excited to see where we grow and learn from here on the MakerDAO front. Other than that, there were 17 other votes, operational, budgetary, in nature, as well as five new votes that end tomorrow. These five votes that popped up post the Constitution MIP set all deal with integrating and changing some of those structural concepts that we've discussed in our prior episodes. So keep your eye on the maker front for some of these changes. I'm sure it'll be front and center uh, as they move forward. Brilliant. Next on my radar, or last on my radar, is quite a big one within the ecosystem recently which is the arbitrum token airdrop and the subsequent arbitrum dow proposal that comes through for the arbitrum improvement proposal framework and so to give a bit of background context before i go into this one arbitrum is one of if not the leading layer two roll up at the moment basically making transactions cheaper and faster than they would be on mainnet and they did a token airdrop two, two or three weeks ago, I think it was. And so the layer two space is really heating up. There are a bunch of different players at the moment with a bunch of different tokens coming out or already out. So for example, Optimism already have their token out, for the optimistic rollups that they provide. Arbitrum have theirs. Starknet have promised that they have got one coming as well. And then you've obviously got a bunch of other players like Scroll, Amusable X for the gaming side. And now announced on the 28th of March, the big announcement from Consensus that Linear is being announced with another layer two. And so in in my view anyway, layer two is like one of the most exciting spaces. And 
they've got some real potential on their tokenomics front. I'm not going to dive too deep into the tokenomics for Arbitrum here. My understanding is that it's primarily a governance token, whether they add further utility to that to be seen. I think there's actually some really cool things you can do with tokens in the layer two space at the moment. Eventually, we'll be able to see it um, contribute towards decentralization efforts for layer twos as well, being able to effectively similar to how we have with Ethereum, but I think a mechanism hasn't been developed which would effectively decentralize the approval process within layer two rollups. I'm getting off course. Going back to the actual proposal itself is the fact that Arbitrum are now releasing the Arbitrum DAO off the back of this token as they progressively decentralize their product. And so this big proposal that's come through is a Arbitrum improvement proposal, AIP framework, and the Arbitrum constitution for initiating the DAO. This is the first stab at it effectively from Arbitrum. And so it details specific governance processes, the committees, the guidelines for the DAO to follow. And one of the big takeaways is that one of the big things to be wary of is 750 million ARB, ARB, Arbitrum token, will be transferred to the Arbitrum Foundation to fund this administrative budget wallet for, for special grants, for reimbursing service providers for their setup costs associated with the Arbitrum Foundation, and to pay for any ongoing administrative as well as operational costs. There's been some really cool discussions around the AIP process, including shout out to Limes on the forum, on the Arbitrum forum. He pointed out that the original forum post highlighted that 5 million ARB tokens would be needed to post in AIP. At 5 million ARB tokens, there's only four delegates who meet that requirement. But Moving that number down to 1 million ARB tokens introduces 27 delegates who have the ability to post in AIP. One of the big reasons that you try to limit who can actually post some of these main proposals, any sort of improvement proposal, because you want to ensure that you have the backing and alignment of matured actors within the ecosystem. So it's very common across protocols. But just calling out that forum post comment from Lime's some of the very interesting feedback for AIP1. Lastly, here to close us out, we have uh, just a few more quick updates. Ave Governance V3 was proposed in discussion. This proposal really aims to take Ave Governance to the next level. It includes having multiple assets that you can vote with, including what I call derivative assets or assets used within the protocol, and also introduces multi-chain governance within the Ave ecosystem. Remembering what happened with Aave, Aave governance in the late summer around the actual tokens and how broadly dispersed the Aave tokens and derivative tokens are spread out across EVM chains, this would help to alleviate some of those concerns. This proposed governance upgrade also introduces structural changes to the governance process. Discussions well underway on the Aave forum. You can check that out in the show notes. Hopefully a interesting episode for our listeners, sort of covering some of the big things on our radar within the world of governance at the moment and DAOs generally. Any closing words or thoughts from your end? Yeah, definitely. Excite, exciting two weeks here in the DAO space, especially among some of these larger DeFi platforms. So keeping up with the latest and greatest on these platforms with all their governance activity, super important. You can catch these episodes every two weeks where we'll highlight some of the main things that have occurred. Thank you to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode.